everyone. Welcome back. I'm your host, Eddie Garcia, and today we have Miss Megan Coakley from the Office for the New Evangelization. I'd like to start off thanking all of you for tuning in, and I also would like to thank Miss Coakley for taking the time to be with us today. Our last two episodes were with Father Stephen DeLacy and Deacon Michael Cuff. Today we're going to focus on how a layperson lives out her vocation. Ms. Coakley, could you please tell us a bit about yourself? Certainly. So um, I was born and raised in Somerville, New Jersey, in a practicing Catholic family. And I went to Catholic elementary school, high school, and college. And then when I was about 18 years old, I had a big conversion experience at the tomb of St. Francis of Assisi when I was 18. And that really turned my life around and sent me on this path of studying theology, which I did out at the University of Notre Dame in Indiana. Um, And so I studied theology really with a sense of great desire to work in the church. And so here I am many years later working for the Catholic Church in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. Once again, this is your host, Eddie Garcia, and we're here with Miss Megan Coakley on the Acuity Initiative, where we strive to get closer to Christ one day at a time. Priests and religious aren't the only people with a vocation. We're all called to holiness and to evangelize, ultimately bringing people closer to God. So as a layperson, how are you leaving out your vocation, Ms. Coakley? So this is a really great point, right? Because most people hear the word vocation and they think priest, religious. And in fact, when we pray for vocations, we mean those two vocations, but we also mean married life, actually. And then the church also recognizes the single vocation. Um, So that's where I would fall in the single vocation. I'm not married, but I'm not a religious and certainly not a priest. So... um, But even within those kind of what we would call big V vocations, there's what we understand to be the small V vocation, that every human being is uniquely seen by God, and he has a unique plan just for that person. So much so that John Paul II said, we are unique and unrepeatable, that we have a task to perform that no one in the history of mankind will be asked to do. So, and even if like, for example, I don't perform my task, it's not like God's gonna create somebody else to do it for me. It just doesn't happen, which is an amazing thing to think about, right? Our responsibility to respond to what God is asking of us. So. When I was 18, you know, I'm sure, you know, really the moment that I was baptized, God infused my vocation into my heart. It's just I didn't know it. (laughs) And it took, you know, it takes our lifetime to figure that out, to figure out what is God asking of me? What did he make me for? So when I was 18 and had really my very profound experience of God in Assisi, um, I think that's when I, I fell in love with Jesus is really what happened. And that is what spawned this really deep fire in my heart to work for the church. And so how am I living that out today? Literally, I, I, my whole life is in service to the Catholic Church in a very specific place, Philadelphia, right? And, and the four surrounding counties. Um, and it's really neat to see how over time in my life, God has opened doors and closed doors to get me exactly where he wants me. And I would definitely say that one way that you know you're living your vocation is when you're happy. Not that there's not difficulty, right? Because there's always difficulty and suffering and sadness and struggles. Um, But I would say in, in living the work that I'm doing now, I'm so convinced that it's right where God wants me to be that I have like a deep abiding peace kind of all the time. And, um, that's, that's really how I'm living it. Now, what the day to day looks like is daily prayer and mass and confession and listening to the Lord and what does he want me to do today 
Um, so anyway, we can talk about all of that and how that works. But that is how I'm living it now is my, my service for the church. That's great. So your actual job title is a director of the Office for the New Evangelization. So what, what exactly is it that you do for the Archdiocese? Yeah, so my job is to really, in a sense, support the Archbishop in his ministry. So the Bishop is the shepherd of the local church. His ministry is to teach, to sanctify, and to protect, right? So my job is under him to support him in that mission and particularly in the area of evangelization. So my main work, we have about 215 parishes in the Archdiocese, and my job is to help those parishes evangelize. In other words, to respond to Jesus' mandate to go make disciples, go out after the lost, go out after the sheep that have strayed away, um, go after the people in the pews who haven't strayed but maybe haven't fallen in love with God yet. So that's my primary work is just to really serve the leaders in parishes who, who have this mission to respond to Christ, and I'm kind of their servant. I'm the servant of the parish leaders to do that. You've mentioned in the past that you have a strong devotion to Our Lady. Many Catholics aren't that close to their Heavenly Mother, so, so how was it that you came to be so close to Our Lady? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, when I had my conversion, I was 18, I really fell in love with Jesus, with the Holy Trinity. And then it was interesting, I, I was 18, so I'd just gone off to college. So I went to Notre Dame, which of course is Our Lady's school. And when I was in Notre Dame, it was very interesting. I was a very devout Catholic at that point. I had a huge conversion. I was just praying all the time. But I noticed that I had a hard time with the Virgin Mary. I actually felt very intimidated by her. Um, but I remember as a college kid, I remember thinking, I can't just ignore her. She's actually central, so I have to deal with this. I have to deal with my fear. I have to deal with why I'm keeping her at arm's length. And I have to say that, that being willing to be honest like that and look at why I, my heart was away from her and far away from her was probably the most important journey of my life. And so in a sense, I say that to just encourage other Catholics to not be afraid to look at the things about our faith that we are afraid of or don't want to accept, um, whether it be Our Lady, whether it be Jesus, whether it be a doctrine, whether it be a moral teaching that we like, oh, I can't, I'm not going to live that. To not be afraid to look at that because it usually uncovers something in our heart that God wants to heal. And so that's what happened with me as I went through this journey of why am I afraid of Mary and keeping her far away to like experiencing the depth of her love and just falling in love with her. Um, so that's how I came to love her is just, I would say like a number of years of um, journeying with her and having her reveal who she is to me and, and touching the wounds of my heart. And, and now I, yeah, she's totally my mom. <laughs> You mentioned that prayer was important in your daily life. How has the rosary and prayer in general affected you positively? Uh, prayer is everything. It's everything. Um, it is it is the lifeline with God. And so like when Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And basically, if the branch stays connected, it will have life. And if it doesn't, it's going to die. Prayer is that connection. And I experienced that very much in my own life that regular prayer so daily prayer taking time out to be in silence no devices nothing everything goes away me and jesus me and our lady that is where the life comes in and, it, and it's what fuels my ministry um 
So it has affected me positively in the sense that prayer is my time of being loved by God, of feeling his love, um, so that I can go out and love other people. And I feel like prayer has been what has, over the long term, made me whole inside. And um, there's nothing like God's love to do that. And, and we need prayer is what enables that love to touch our hearts. So we've noticed a pattern with prayer with our three people. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so that's, that's a good thing for everyone to take note of. Um, and then besides Our Lady, what, is there any saint or couple of saints that you feel have been close to you or mm. have guided you? Gosh, a number of them. So certainly St. Joseph. I love St. Joseph. I don't. I would recommend to anybody the consecration to St. Joseph by uh, Father Don Calloway um, to just really take him as our spiritual father. And I've done like so many novenas to him and he's absolutely comes through every time. I mean, it's like he's unbelievable. So I would say him, um, St. Faustina Kowalska, the, the saint of divine mercy. I just, I, I think her feminine love for the Lord, I, I really relate to that and want to be like that. And then of course my patron saint is St. Margaret Mary, who was the one who had the visions of the Sacred Heart. And I have a huge devotion to the Sacred Heart. So I would say she's another uh, big one in my life, with, of, along with of course St. Francis of Assisi, who was my, kind of in a sense, the father of my conversion. Also St. Joseph has been a big thing too. Yeah, <laughs> he's the man. <laughs> what advice would you give to anyone who's struggling with prayer? Yeah, this is a really big one. A lot of people struggle with prayer. So I think the first thing is to not be discouraged and to not beat yourself up. So a lot of people f maybe find it boring or one of the big things that makes people not pray is distractions. They get distracted and then they think they're bad and <laughs> they don't pray. Um, so the number one thing is just to remember that God sees us and knows us and loves us as little children and doesn't expect perfection out of us. I would say the second big thing to remember about prayer, sometimes we go into prayer as basically just another thing we have to do and it's work, like we work. If we started to understand prayer as that time we set aside to be loved by God, then it becomes a lot more doable, right? Because it's the one time in the day when you get to sit and be loved. And like, who doesn't want that, you know? And so that that makes it become, in a sense, like, and I'll say this for me, it, to me, prayer is like air at this point. Like it's, I'm so dependent on it that I notice if it's not in, in if it's not complete in my life. So, and, but I think that's what the change is for us is that we don't go into prayer to like do stuff for God. We go into prayer to receive from God. And once we begin to taste it that way, it's like, oh, I need to pray. <laughs> you know, you start to really need it and want it. Sure. Remaining faithful to the Catholic Church, how, how do you do that with all the scandals and everything that's been going on recently with the church? Oh man, well, prayer. <laughs> so that's, you know, because, yeah, I think, and especially as somebody who works for the church, yeah, it can sure. be very difficult to work for the church because you see the humanity, you see the sinfulness kind of all the time. And it can, you can be regularly disappointed. Um, and then you add, you know, scandals on top of it, you add just like bad behavior and people who aren't virtuous, you know, and they're just like, what the heck? Um, but, and that's why prayer is so essential because when you're in prayer is when your gaze stays on Jesus Christ, who is the head of his church, right? And that, that is unchanging, no matter who does what, who doesn't do what. Um, and so just that I think is so critical to keep our gaze on Jesus, um, on Our Lady, 
who are perfect and never fail us. And especially, I think, keeping those lines of communication open with them is what enables us to taste that God is still so alive in his church. Um, because if we don't taste that, we will, could very easily think the church is dead and that there's nothing good here. Um, and so I think that keeping that connection, and I would say too, a connection with each other. Keep building each other up. You mentioned that you didn't have a conversion until you were about 18 when you visited Assisi. So how was your life before then with the church? Yeah, so I did grow up in a practicing Catholic family. So we went to Mass every Sunday, Holy Days of Obligation. Like I remember going on vacation and my parents were, were like, we're going to Mass. <laughs> and of course we were like, no. Um, so I, you know, and I went to Catholic school. So I remember, I remember liking being Catholic and liking God, liking Jesus. But I wouldn't say that I knew him personally. And I wouldn't say I was like in love. And that's the difference. So, so I grew up in a very Catholic family in that sense. My parents are faithful Catholics, always have been. But what changed for me when I was 18 was that I met him personally. And, and then it was a real relationship and not just like a religion. It, was, it is a religion, right? But it's a, it's a religion that is also an intimate relationship. And that's what changed. What advice would you give to anyone that is struggling to listen and to respond to God's call? Uh, this is another big question, right? Discernment is yes. the big word here. So I would say for anyone wanting to do God's will, I mean, the first thing is we have to always, in order to know what God wants for us, we have to kind of, in a sense, the first step is just get the basics in place. So making sure that we're going to mass, making sure that we're going to confession regularly. If, we're, if those things aren't in our life, we're not gonna hear God, period, right? So, so those things have to come into place first. And then once those are in place, the second level is having that courage and that discipline to begin a regular prayer life. So 15 minutes a day even is sufficient to start to just do it. Whatever you choose to do, do it regularly. So don't commit to an hour if you're not going to do it because <laughs> you'll just get discouraged and stop. So then in that, right, there are rules. There's um, St. Ignatius of Loyola has these rules for discernment. And one of the things that he says about once you're in the grace of God, right, once you're going to church, you're going to confession, you're praying to some degree regularly, the way you know the voice of God is through the gift of peace. So I remember I had a spiritual director tell me once, and it's one of the best pieces of discernment advice I ever heard. He said, follow the peace and look for the fruits. So if you have a decision in front of you, maybe it's two good things, right? Do I go to this college or that college? And they're both good, right? So your question is, what does God want? The question is, you, you know, you, you do your investigating, you go look at those schools, and then you pay attention to your heart. Where am I at peace? Which one is my heart attracted to? And then what you do, and this is where, so that's follow the peace. And then what you do is you take steps in that direction and you pay attention to your heart. Am I experiencing joy? Am I experiencing um, love? Am I experiencing happiness? Those are fruits of the Holy Spirit. So that means the Holy Spirit is confirming your decision. If you make a step in that direction and you start to feel anguish and sadness and sorrow, those are not fruits of the Holy Spirit. So you know, oh, this might not be the will of God. So that discernment is a lot of testing things out. And then the other big thing, paying attention to your heart, learning to listen, because that's where God is speaking. In the end, God is speaking in your own heart. And that's where no one actually can tell you what God wants for you. You can have a spiritual director to assist you, but it's actually you and him. He's the one who's telling you in your own heart 
what it is he's asking you to do. And that's, it's an amazing thing, right? That in the end, it, we have to hear for ourselves and it can be done. <laughs> uh, so do you have any final words for our listeners? At home? I guess just a word of encouragement that God does have a plan for you. Um, and that no one should have any doubt about that, that God sees you. He knows you intimately, personally, and loves you intimately and personally and made you for a specific mission. So there's no way that you don't have a mission. It's The task is actually just to slowly uh, receive that from God and listen for what it is. And uh, one thing I do want to say too, is that your mission is going to fulfill you. A lot of people think God's going to ask the thing that I don't want, <laughs> which can be true, right? There's a way where he may challenge us, but in the end, it will make you happy because the way he made you in your DNA was made for your mission. So there's a way where what God is asking of you is always going to fulfill you at the depths of your being. So don't be afraid that you're going to be miserable. You're not. <laughs> Well, thanks again for being generous with your time. Uh, may God continue to bless you in your ministry. Thanks. And uh, for anyone listening to this podcast, please subscribe and to get notifications and spread the word. Uh, you can find my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks and God bless. <laughs>